you could be seated. Man, it's so good to be back here. Happy Thanksgiving. I hope that you enjoyed it and ate your fill because those leftovers are only good for one more day, folks. Nobody needs food poisoning. All right, open up your Bibles to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. We're going to do things a little bit different. Uh, this morning, we're, you're going to follow along and make sure I'm not like, you know, you know, going off the road into heresy or anything, but you're going to follow along in John chapter four. It's such a good chapter. We don't have time to preach it all, but I love this particular story. So we're going to give a little bit of context and then dive into the text. I believe that the Lord just wants to speak to us today. So John chapter four, Benny sends his love. He watched the 9 a.m. experience online before he headed off to our experiences this morning and just sends his love. And uh, we love Church 1132. It is like coming back to our home away from home. So thank you so much for having me this morning. All right, John chapter 4. This particular chapter starts out a little bit strange with a very weird scripture. And it's the religious people arguing whether John the Baptist or Jesus are baptizing more people. Then there's this odd footnote that says, but actually the disciples were baptizing. Jesus didn't actually uh, baptize anyone. And it's just kind of this strange beginning to the story. And then launches into the real heart of the story and of the chapter. And the, G- the point that Jesus is really trying to get at. And that is Jesus is in Judea and he needs to go to Galilee. And just by the first glance at the scripture, it will seem like in order for Jesus to get to Galilee, he must pass through Samaria. However, there was actually three ways for Jesus to get from Judea to Galilee. But the reason the Bible says that he had to was because that he was obeying his heavenly father and God had a setup for him and someone that he was supposed to meet and a village that he was supposed to begin to preach, come on, himself to. And, uh, and so because God knew all these things, again, at first glance, It is so important as followers of Jesus that we don't ever give the word of God just a cursory reading, but that every time things beg questions. Have you ever read the Bible and you're like, Jesus just said, eat my flesh, drink my blood. That is weird because literally that would be disturbing in cannibalism. So what must Jesus actually mean? Anybody else read the Bible and they begged a few questions? Okay, it definitely begs a few questions. So this is, the, this is some of those questions that just kind of come up and it, it just seems odd. And I love it because the word of God is unparalleled. It is matchless. It is impossible to exhaust. It is multi-layered. We can read the same passage yesterday. We can read it today. We can read it tomorrow. We can read it every day for the rest of our lives. And because it is alive and it is active, there's always something to apply to our lives today. Amen? This isn't a historical book we're reading. This is something that's active and alive. So Jesus makes his way down. And remember, context, Jesus is in the Middle East. It's hot. It's the desert. You can imagine he started the journey very early in the morning. And about the noon day, the hottest time of the day, he comes into Sychar and he ends up at Jacob's well. He sends his disciples into the village to find food for him. And he's waiting there at the well for this appointment that his heavenly father has set up for him. As he's sitting there, a Samaritan woman comes and meets him and sees him at the well. Now, we understand because you can still go to this well today. It's a historical site, Jacob's Well. And we know that from a few yards away, quite a few 
yards away, you'd be able to see if you were traveling to the well that someone was there sitting at the well. So it's amazing that the Samaritan woman even continued on to the well. Now a little bit of understanding about what the, um, what the, like, the village culture would be of that day because I from Las Vegas, so I understand a little bit about the heat in the summer and what that must feel like. No one is going to take their clay water jar in the middle of the heat of the day and take it all the way out to the well, fill it back up so now a heavy jar is even heavier, and then take it back in, especially during the heat of the day. So what they would do is get up very early in the morning. I'm already getting amens. This is absolutely wonderful. (laughs) Best church ever, guys. Seriously, I love you. Uh, And so... uh, Normally, they would get up way before the sun came up, and as a community, they would actually take their water containers out to the well to fill them, and as they were filling, they would catch up. They would find out what's going on in everybody's lives, you know, get, the gossip would start going, and who's who, and who's what, and who's, you know, being betrothed to who, and blah, 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 and they would talk about all these fun things, and then they'd go back into the village and, you know, commence with their day. So by virtue of this woman coming out at this particular time of day tells us a few things. Either she was shunned, rejected, and not welcome to be there, or because of the way she would have been treated if she went there between the cold shoulders or the eye rolling or the snide remarks, she chose to do it at a time of day when she thought no one would be at the well. She walks up to the well and Jesus is sitting there and he asks for a drink of water. Again, another cultural understanding of the day is that Jews and Samaritans did not interact at all. In fact, it was well known that if a Jewish and a Samaritan person found themselves haphazardly in the same vicinity of one another, they would just promptly ignore one another's existence. Then to top it off, Jesus isn't just Jewish, he's like extra Jewish. I grew up in a household, I was like extra Christian, like no non-Christian music, no movie theaters, no jeans, no makeup, dear God, thank you, Jesus, I've been delivered. Super extra Christian, Jesus is extra Jewish, he's a rabbi. By virtue of the story, again, she recognizes his clothing that would signify that he's a rabbi. Well, rabbis, again, extra Jewish, they couldn't just not talk to women, they couldn't even talk to their own wives or family members in public. I know, crazy, aren't you glad you don't live then? Anyway, (laughs) moving on. So this is like extra, so when? Jesus says, could I get a drink of water? This woman's shocked. But I love it because she talks back. Like, because again, it would have been unheard of. She just would have normally just kind of turned and just walked back away. But she, she, she goes, how is it that you, being a Jewish rabbi, and me, that Samaritan woman, that you're even talking to me? And then Jesus talks back to her and says, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for a drink of water. Now, I love this girl because she's still not even intimidated by this at all. And in a little while, we're going to really give the disciples a hard time because bless their little hearts. They're like in ships. They they should be sunk, but they're not because Jesus is with them. They're in hungry crowds that he feeds with five loaves and two fish, right? They They see Jesus open blind eyes, but they never get it when Jesus is talking metaphorically, right? They always take him literally but not this woman. He said, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for a drink of water because I have living water and you'll never thirst again. And she says, Lord, 
give me this water so I will never have to come out to this well again. Can I tell you what I think she was saying? I didn't think she fully grasped maybe what was happening here, but it was such an unusual conversation. I think she was saying, Lord, give me that water so that every day I don't have to be reminded of my rejection, my reproach, how I'm not welcome, how society's kicked me out and canceled me and called me worthless and nothing and being passed around like a piece of property. Lord, I want this water. And it's at this point that she says, okay, they have a few more exchanges, but Jesus says, go and get your husband. And this is where it gets a little bit tricky because, unfortunately, religious teachings sometimes of the past or when we were growing up really superimposed a very harsh tone in Jesus' words. But the funny thing is you never see in the scripture Jesus confronting any sinner about sin. You know why? People already know they're jacked. Right? You only see Jesus confronting religious people. Who's that? That's people that are more worried about what's happening on the outside. Do I talk right, look right, dress like, and fit the part? Jesus was always concerned about a heart issue. So he knows he never has to confront sinners because people already know they're in trouble. Listen, as followers of Jesus, we don't have to go around calling out everybody's sin. They already know in the depths of their heart that they are broken, that they are searching, that they are in need of something greater that they cannot find within themselves. Telling somebody they're a mess isn't good news. Going to the doctor so the doctor can say you're sick doesn't help me. How can I be made well? That's good news. So you can imagine Jesus' compassion, his empathy, his compassion as he looks at this woman and he says, you've spoken well. For you've had five husbands and the one you're living with now isn't. And we would like to think that Jesus is somehow calling her out, but he's not. I think for the first time in her life, a man has actually looked her in the eye, not treated her as a piece of property. She would have no rights as a woman. She would be uneducated. She would not even know how to read she would have no way of even making those decisions for herself by the law of the time. So this woman has been passed around from person to person. The very first divorce that she would have had, her family would have disowned her because they would have brought shame upon the family. And she's standing there. And now the seventh man is looking her in the eye, is deeming her worthy enough of a conversation between two human beings and just exuding an enormous amount of love the kind of love that only Jesus can give us. You can't you can imagine how ecstatic she would be at this moment. So this is where we pick up this story, chapter 4, verse 27. Chapter 4, verse 27. And he says, "At that moment, the disciples returned, remember they could see this from a little ways off, and were stunned to see Jesus speaking with the Samaritan woman." Yet none of them dared to ask him why or what they were discussing. All at once, the woman dropped her water jar and ran off to her village and told everyone to come and meet a man at the well who told me everything I've ever done. He could be the anointed one we've been waiting for. Hearing this, the people came streaming out of the village to go see Jesus. 
Then the disciples began to insist that Jesus eat some of the food they had brought back from the village, saying, Teacher, you must eat something. But Jesus told them, as only Jesus could say, Don't worry about me. I've eaten a meal you don't know about. This is one of those statements that should beg a question. Puzzled by this, poor disciples, the disciples began to discuss among themselves, did you bring him food? Where did he get this meal? What's going on? Did he eat the Samaritan's woman, woman's stuff? Oh, my God. Then Jesus spoke up and said, my food is to be doing the will of him who sent me and bring it to completion. As the crowds emerged from the village, Jesus said to his disciples, why would you say? The harvest is four months away. Look at all the people coming now. Now is harvest time. For their hearts are like the vast fields of ripened grain, ready for a spiritual harvest. And everyone who reaps these souls for eternal life will receive a reward. And those who plant the spiritual seeds and those who reap the harvest will celebrate together with great joy. And this confirms the saying, one sows the seed and another reaps the harvest. I've sent you out to to harvest a field that you haven't planted. Many others have labored long and hard before you. And now you are privileged to profit from their labors and reap the harvest. So there were many from the Samaritan village who became believers in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. Father, we thank you so much for our time together. And Lord, we do ask that the word of God would just come alive. Lord, Holy Spirit, we say you have your way today. Whatever you want to do and speak to us today, Lord Jesus, to begin to just bring greater change in our heart and our lives, you have full authority today in Jesus' name. Come on, church. I want to hear an amen. 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 All right, quick poll. So the 9 a.m., they were such liars. (laughs) I mean, oh my gosh, you're not supposed to lie in church. You're still going to heaven and everything, okay? We're not that kind of church. But listen, where are my fad diet people at? I'm raising my hand right now. My keto people, where are you? Come on, come on, intermittent fasting. People are pointing at other people instead of raising their hands right now. They're literally doing this. Like, they can see you. They can see you doing this. Yeah, okay. So we got keto. We got intermittent fasting. We got HCG. We got apple cider vinegar. Come on, where are you people at? Yeah. It's like, I'm just, I'm just adjusting the biomes of my gut health. Anyway, we have all these kinds... And the thing about fat diet, and I used to be completely addicted to them because I was just focused on one thing, and that was the scale number going backwards, right? And so it gets you really, really focused on the end result or the end game. Well, in 2021, I decided this year I would just become healthy, that I would put away the fad diets of my youth and strive to be healthy. Now, getting healthy is an interesting thing because if you've lived a lifetime where you've just been focused on one result and now you have to redefine what your end result will be, even though I don't like it, it's not always fun. And I have these people in my life, small group, hey, do you call them small groups here? Connect groups, small groups, cell groups. I don't know, there's so many names in church. 
small group of people, and we like to keep each other accountable. This, I mean, just the wonderful, most amazing women in my church that are in this small group that help really keep me accountable. They send me texts every single month. I mean, they're just so amazing. I hate them. I hate them with everything in my being. I'm so mad that they remind me about goals I set 11 months ago. I kind of wanted to forget a few of those. And, uh, and so they'll send me reminders. And so it's been a very interesting journey for me. And I had to redefine relationship with food because all of a sudden I had to define what was good and healthy to begin to sustain me to be the healthiest that I could be. I had to give up some of the old measures and begin to retrain, especially my mind about the way that I thought about who I am and about my health and about my future. You know, sometimes, if we're not careful as followers of Jesus, we live in a culture that is so result-oriented, right? We live in a culture of like, you know, get that degree. It's all about the end goal, the end game. Where are we going to end up? And sometimes because of that emphasis in our culture, and I'm not mad at our culture, I'm grateful for our nation, whether you were born in, adopted in, right? You found your way here. We're so glad you're here. We love this nation. Great culture, great nation, but we're very like end game focused. Like, let's just get there. Let's like get the degree, start the business, do the thing, make the money, get the investment, get the return, boom, boom, boom. And we sometimes lose a little bit of the joy of the journey, right? So we have to be careful that we don't take an end game or an end result culture and apply it to our Christianity. Why? Because what's the end goal of this relationship that we have for Jesus? Yeah, no one ever answers because they think it's a trick question and they don't want to be wrong. It's okay. Heaven. Right? Well, guess what? What has to happen so you go to heaven? <laughs> Nobody wants to say it. You think I'm going to trick you. I'm really not. I'm not that smart. We'll leave that to Dustin and Benny. But <laughs> we got to die. I'm not ready to go there yet. Therefore, there must be something that is important in the journey of getting there because as followers of Jesus, we can't just be, come on, end game, end result focused, which will be great, but I don't want that now. There must be some kind of joy in journey. We pick up this particular story and the disciples come around the bend. And again, they can see from afar off that Jesus is talking to someone. They can see it's probably a Samaritan woman. And they're just thinking, oh my God, we can't take the son of God anywhere. Who is he talking to now? But they don't dare say anything and they walk up and you can follow along in the back there with me and put those scriptures up. I think we're probably around 29 or 30. And they walk up and they don't say anything. This woman drops her water jar and she runs back into the village. She's going to tell them. So the disciples are like, okay, well, we went and we got something for Jesus to eat. Now, this was no um, easy task, okay? This wasn't like in and out, double, double, come on, cheese fries. Like, this was not an easy order whatsoever. Again, Jewish people. They ate kosher food. They are in a Samaritan village that would not normally have kosher food. So this was quite a hunt. This is like when your spouse, I'm going to put it into um, my day, this is when I send my husband to Whole Foods for something very specific. 
And when you send somebody to Whole Foods for something very specific, you're talking like no sugar, no carbs, no oil, no wheat, wheat, meat, no, no, no wheat, no grain. No. I mean, you should see the laundry list of the things that I'm not allowed to have in my food. Drives my husband crazy. They're in this town. You can imagine this. They were looking for a little while, trying to find the right meal. Maybe they didn't even find that much food that was kosher that they could bring back to Jesus, but they found something. So they're probably kind of happy about it. They're confused why he's talking to a Samaritan woman, but at least she's gone now. And then they come and they bring this food to Jesus. And they're like, please, teacher, you need to eat something. And of course, Jesus, verse 32, Jesus gives us the craziest, weirdest answer that he always says. And he says, I have food you know not of. You know how Christians get weird? They get weird because they read the Bible and they take things at face value when they shouldn't. Because if you go witnessing to a friend at a dinner party and you don't touch your food and your friend says, well, thank you for telling me about Jesus. Would you like to eat some of the food? And you say, I have food you know not of. You're just weird. Don't say that. That's weird. We have enough weird Christians out there already. Again, the Bible begs questions. Jesus wants us to dig deeper. He doesn't want to just serve it up to us. He wants us to actually come into relationship with him, to struggle with what he's saying and saying, this sounds weird. He must mean something more because he does. And he wants us to dive in and figure out what he's talking about. He's like, don't worry about me. I've eaten a meal that you don't know about. Next verse. And now the disciples are like, for real. Oh, my God. He's, uh, did it, did it, oh, who brought him food? What is he eating? Did he sneak something in his robe? Like, what is going on? Did he eat the Samaritan's food? Dear Jesus. Verse 34, he says, no. You could imagine. He's probably, like, just, he's got to just hold back the laughter at times. <laughs> my food is to be doing the will of him who sent me my food is to be doing the will of him who sent my food is to be doing the will of him who sent me you know what's so interesting after I mean I already shared I'm the extra Christian parents or pastors grew up in church blah 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 all of the things and yet still until a week ago if you would have asked me why was Jesus sent to earth I would have replied to you with the end goal. I would have replied to you with a list of things that Jesus was supposed to do. Now, was he sent to earth to die? Yes. Was he sent to earth to raise again? Yes. Was he sent to earth to heal blind eyes and heal lepers and raise daughters and sons from the dead and develop disciples and usher in the new covenant? Yes, he was sent to earth to do all those things. But Jesus is trying to get us to see a bigger picture here. He's trying to be an example for you and I. Yes, we are sent to this earth to do some things. Please don't leave here saying, "Woo, don't got to do nothing. Just one way ticket to heaven. That's one way to live your life, but I promise it won't be nearly as fulfilling as actually doing some things for Jesus. But listen, we were never called to first do. We always were called to first be. We weren't just human doings. We are human beings. When Jesus called these very same men that he's talking to right now, he said, come be with me, then I will make you into something else, and then you will do some things for me. But we're always men 
and first and foremost to be with him. I've heard that Pastor Dustin and pastors and teachers in this house have been talking presence over everything. Presence over everything. What is that? That is that time that we are just with him. He says, I am here to do the will of my father. At the end of the day, he is leveling the playing field because there's nothing more we like in American culture than to compete for everything. We have pretend races on the freeway. I look at Benny say, who are you trying to beat? He's like, everybody. We gotta get in line at Costco and he runs. I watch him, I watch him. All of a sudden his pace picks up. He's like cutting off a grandma to get in line at Costco. I'm like, you are a pastor. He's like, we're wearing masks. <laughs> we are in a competition for everything, but Jesus gives us a beautiful example. No. I am here. He repeats this over and over. By the way, if you look at the words of Jesus, he's here to do the will of him who sent me. Could I reinterpret this for you? But we don't like this word. Ugh, this is one of those words. Unless you have a two-year-old, like one of the babies you're dedicating up here. We don't like this word. It's obedience. Jesus was here and we are here to obey the will of the Father. And he says, my food, my food, my food. This is my food. This is my sustenance. This is my energy. This is what I can't talk today. Never mind. Fills me up every single day. <laughs> what is food? Food is energy. And food fills us up. Can I say it to you this way? Obedience is the grace it's the spiritual energy that we need. And it fulfills us. When we spend time in his presence, we learn to hear his voice so that we can obey and do the will of the Father. You know why this levels the playing field? It's because for so many of us, and I did it today, it's funny, my husband texts me. He said, great job at the 9 a.m. You killed it. And I said, oh, I lost my train of thought a couple of times, and I forgot to make this point. And I started, like, breaking it down for him. And he goes, but, hey, you obeyed, and isn't that the point? <laughs> I was like, oh, you dropped the mic in Las Vegas right now. <laughs> Just calling me out. <laughs> because that's what we do. We look for the affirmation, or we put ourselves down, or we judge how we did. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't want to be excellent in everything that we do. But if we allow that to rob and to steal the grace, right, and the fulfillment that he's trying to give us by obeying, we're going to lose. So why do we have burnt out Christians, why if to obey, to be in his presence, listen to his voice, to simply obey, and we will have enough grace, energy, and fulfillment to sustain our spiritual activities, the doing part, but the obedience is the important part, why 
do we have burnt out Christians? Two reasons. Number one, they're hangry. How many get hangry? Literally, we'll get in the car and my husband will be like, do you have a snack? Do you have a protein drink? Do you have a bar? Do you have like, you know, some whatever chicken, tasteless, nasty things you buy at Whole Foods? Do you have those? Like, he will make sure, like, boxes are checked because he does not want to have to deal with hangry Wendy because she is not a nice person, right? I think we're hangry. I think we come into his presence once a week. And even though there is a proverbial feast of spiritual food for us, there is not one person in this room that can just gorge themselves one day a week and then go six days and not get hangry by the time they get themselves back to church. If we are not feeding ourselves daily... Again, this can be such a a, a source of shame and condemnation if we are not careful about it. That's why we were never meant to just be religious people looking the part, acting the part, dressing the part, but that it was always from the inside out. Whatever we feed ourselves, we will crave. If you feed yourselves vegetables, baby, you'll actually crave vegetables. You really won't crave the sugar if you don't know about the sugar. But I'll tell you what, you try to get off sugar after you've been on sugar. Oh, That's a de- <laughs> Oh, I thought that was a laugh. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That's a detox. He's crying. He's never going to have sugar now. I'm so sorry, bud. <laughs> That's a detox, right? Whatever we feed ourselves, we will crave That is the beautiful thing about the presence of Jesus. That's the beautiful thing about listening to hear his voice. This is not a shame, condemnation, ritualistic, just check the boxes, works-oriented relationship. Anybody married in here, give me a wave, give me a wave, give me a wave. My husband does not check boxes. And if he did, I would probably punch him. But he does not, he does not like, okay, today, I better tell Wendy I love her today. Check, love you. And no, Because it's a relationship. Good, bad, ugly, up, down, all around, all of the things. It's always just going to be there and we're committed to it. It's a relationship. The same with Jesus. This is a relationship. I'm telling you, and when we get into his presence, there is a hunger that comes from the inside that cannot be quenched by anything else than time with him. So... We're either hangry or we're doing a bunch of things he never asked us to do. We're overcommitted, doing things outside of our gift mix, whether we're competing or looking for affirmation or trying to prove something or grew up in a religious system that said you had to do so many works in order to get to heaven. Whatever that mindset is, hoping to make ourselves feel better, hoping to look at as important and worthwhile. But all of those things come with being in his presence. There's so much to the story, we don't have time to just really complete it all. But I think that it is so important to note that in this story that Jesus never ignores some pretty major issues that are brought up in this particular story. 
He doesn't ignore the sexism or the abuse that the woman is facing. He doesn't ignore the racism that is in the hearts of the disciples when they come back. He doesn't, he even calls out and talks about how the laborers have worked hard. He doesn't, he's not trying to ignore the effort, the energy that it takes. He's not saying that there wouldn't be hard work. There wouldn't be times even maybe we just kind of want to give up. There wouldn't be outside factors. I think when the apostle Paul is writing, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. He is saying, listen, listen, daily in his presence, listening and knowing that I am simply obeying that I cannot control the results. I cannot control the outcome. All I can do is stay in his presence, keep my ears open, simply obey, be fed daily the grace and the fulfillment that I need for every day. When we are filled up on grace and we are filled up with the faithfulness and the fulfillment that comes from him, I think that we can confidently say like the apostle Paul said, I have learned that whatever state I am in to be content that circumstances don't determine political climate doesn't determine societal issues doesn't determine the way people are looking at me when they walk up and see that I'm talking to Jesus doesn't determine how I feel about myself how I feel about the day or how I feel about my future because I have been in the presence of Jesus I have encountered his grace and his fulfillment and because I'm eating the right things I am able to obey every day. Our time together is coming to a close, but I would never want to close our experience without giving you an opportunity to meet Jesus. I hope I didn't paint a picture that we are somehow perfect people in here because we're not. I hope I didn't paint a picture that somehow you come to Jesus and everything just works out fine. No, again, Jesus wasn't ignoring some pretty major issues that were brought up in this story, but he was giving a higher, newer perspective, knowing that we could rise above so many of the things that you and I are facing today in our own culture, that our lives, our health, our energy, our fulfillment doesn't have to be influenced by those outside sources in our culture, but that in his presence, in the simple act of obedience every day, we can be fulfilled.